Hi, I'm Isaac Devere. Welcome to Off Message. Rahm Emanuel thinks everyone in Washington is too focused on the crazy around President Donald Trump to see what's actually going on and what's not. So I asked him, can we look past the crazy? I would use plural, Emanuel said, not just singular. Just take what's been in the headlines the last few weeks amid all the West Wing drama and turmoil, all the Jim Comey stuff. A proposed upheaval to the tax code unveiled without any detail about who would pay less, who would pay more, and how. Emmanuel called that totally unacceptable. Or the mounting tension with North Korea, as Trump talks about canceling the trade deal and air defense system over South Korea. Or Trump's blithe invitations to the Oval Office for anti-democratic leaders like Rodrigo Duterte of the Philippines and Erdogan of Turkey. America's word and America's reliability is now in question, Emmanuel said. Come and gone like that. Emmanuel has a unique vantage from the fifth floor of City Hall where we met just off his private office. He was the top aide for Bill Clinton in the White House. He was Barack Obama's chief of staff. He met privately with Trump during the transition and made an appeal for cities and immigration. And he's still quietly advising top Democrats over the phone and on occasional trips back to D.C. about how to take Trump on and how to rethink what they're doing. And that's what we talked about. And also why a man who is famous for cursing never curses on microphone. First, we have a conversation with John Bresnahan, our Capitol Bureau Chief here at Politico. Talked about what's going on with Republicans and Democrats in Congress and how this is all filtering down. I want to remind you to follow me on Twitter, at Isaac Dover, and on Facebook. Email me at Isaac, I-S-A-A-C, at Politico.com. And of course, go on to Politico.com and fill out our podcast survey so we can know more about what we should be doing. That's Politico.com slash podcast survey. And now, our conversation with John Bresnahan. So you're down in the Capitol every day. You know all those people. What kind of a mood uh, are the Republicans and what kind of mood are the Democrats in at this point? I think in the Democrats, for their part, are, are in full-fledged attack mode. They feel like there are a lot of vulnerabilities uh, for Trump and the Republicans starting with health care, uh, and they are going to try and exploit them all, all Trump's personal flaws. Uh, the Russia investigation, that for them is that is an obsession for, an obsession. House, minority, for House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi and some of the other Democrats. They are obsessed with it, I would say. They think there is real uh, issues there. Uh, so I don't are think they obsessed any... with it because they know it's politically damaging for Trump or because – uh, they really believe that they're going to. There is some smoking email in there that's going to reveal. Uh, okay, here's when uh, Paul Manafort said to his contact in Russia, whatever it would, would it be, um, about the Trump and Putin collusion. I don't know about that. I think they feel like with with former National Security Advisor Flynn and, and Paul Manafort, Trump's former campaign manager, I feel like th they feel like there's enough there. That if they keep the pressure on that, there will be there's potential criminal wrongdoing, and that that would be show a pattern of behavior involving senior administration officials, and that would you know it would lead back to the White House at some point. They do. I'm not sure if they think there's a smoking gun, mm -hmm. but I think they feel like they can establish a pattern of you know of loose, unethical, maybe criminal behavior by senior. Uh, administration officials or people close to Trump. Right? At least Either muddy way, the waters. At least muddy the waters. And then they do feel with the other issues with the emoluments issue, his unwillingness to to uh, really put a real firewall between him and his personal holdings. I think they feel like there's a lot there. And then you, and that's, 
just on the personal side and then also on the policy side, they, they feel that there's a lot to attack Trump. And are the Republicans just keeping their heads down? Are they feeling uh, emboldened by Trump still? Where what's the What's the current state of mind? Don't think Republicans feel like Trump is hurting them actively yet. Like he's not become a, district, a problem in their own districts in terms of House Republicans particularly. He is not, he's not, you know, they're not coming home and getting, you know, uh, they're getting protests, but they can't tell is that indivisible, is that one of the progressive right, groups? Actual to, yeah, is, right. is, you know, so, you know, I do think the the Comey firing, I think that could take it to a, another level, okay? Uh, that could be a whole different thing. Um, but I, do, I don't think right now they feel like he's damaged them that much. I mean, I think they'll think that it's going to be 2018. It's going to be a tough cycle. It would be for any first-term president. Right. But I do think uh, that they can't understand what's happening at the White House all the time. It frustrates them that there's constant drama out of the White House. It's frustrating as hell for members because that's we're focused on it as reporters. And we're, you know, You're coming to them they, and, asking and we're them what battering them every yep. day and they have to stay on top of it. Uh, I do think they are getting what they want out of Trump policy-wise. They're getting everything they want out of Trump policy-wise. So in some ways – Except for not movement so far toward signing bills into law on Obamacare, well, on tax reform. But, that's but, them but, but as, they're moving. But, but right? that's them as much as him. Right. That's their, that's their own issues. Remember, what's happened in the Republican Party in the last 10 years, there's been a real revolution in the party. I mean the, 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 the Republican establishment has been overthrown. When you have a president from completely outside the Republican establishment, I mean, who never held any office or never served in the military, okay? And he's he's another sign of that revolution. So, but you still have the congressional leadership is old school establishment pals. I mean, you have Mitch McConnell, Senate Majority Leader, and you have Paul Ryan. I mean, Paul Ryan basically grew up in Congress. And Mitch McConnell has been here for 40 years. So, I mean, Paul Ryan has basically never been employed by anybody other than the House I mean, of Representatives. He, right? He's been, that's has been his life. Yeah. So, um, so you have two guys who are the opposite of Trump. I mean, they spend their whole, you know, 60 years between them in involved in, you know, Congress or politics. So it's, 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 it's a culture clash and it's all playing out in real time. It's kind of fascinating. Rahm Emanuel is the mayor of Chicago now, but he, still looms in people's heads in Washington in a real way. Uh, with your staff, he probably would have been uh, a contender for speaker had he stayed in the House, mm-hmm. right? D-Triple-C um, chairman right. when they won the House. Right, yeah, he was right. in 2000. Wrote a book about it. Yeah. Uh, so what What do the, the his former colleagues in the House think about him? Or do they do, – do you feel like uh, – they still are sort of inspired by the Rahm Emanuel way of doing things. Oh, they still talk to Rahm Emanuel. I mean, you take a guy like Steny Hoyer, the House Minority Whip, who normally would have seen somebody like Rahm as a as a uh, as a rival in the House Democratic leadership, and he didn't. And he still talks to Rahm. Mm-hmm. He talks to him frequently. You know, they still see Rahm as an excellent strategist and somebody who can really. Boy, you know, look at a complicated political situation and say, okay, you should focus on X, Y, Z. Somebody who can really get to the uh, the important parts, facets of a some kind of debate, and then set a strategy going forward. He's talking so, to Chuck Schumer. He's talking, he's talking to other people, he, right? He talks to Pelosi. Uh, he's, I mean, he's a guy they respect. I mean, look, Rom, you know, was like was White House staffer, got elected to Congress, was successful there, you know. Went to the White House again as chief of staff uh, at the at the most productive legislative period for Obama. And then went out and you know mayor of Chicago 
in very tough circumstances, but got reelected in a tough circumstance. I mean, Rahm is- And continues you know, to face tough circumstances, he, right? You know, there's some brutal, <laughs> there's a, the violence there and some of the other issues, but he's dealt with this, you know? So they know Rahm's on the front line facing these issues and has been for a long time. So they respect his opinion a lot. When we talked, uh, he talked about the divide between urban districts and rural districts and suburban districts is a big thing in 2006. Do you think that Democrats uh, going into uh, the 2018 elections, but even before they get there and thinking about what they're focused on, are thinking about things in that in that way that they, they need to figure out a way back to the suburbs? Or are they still too torn up by uh, what happened in 2016 and wanting to refight those battles over the culture wars or uh, whatever it might be? The progressive base is not, I mean, they are not in the mood to compromise at all. They're not in any, cutting any deals with Trump. They want to see Trump impeached. They want to get him out of office, okay? And they really um, believe that they're, in some way in their heads, they believe there's some path to that. And and they, they are convinced and they're putting enormous pressure on any Democrat who shows any inclination to do any kind of deal with Trump or talk to somebody in the Trump administration or Republicans, that person is getting hammered. Uh, now, I talked to Josh Gottheimer as a freshman from New, New Jersey who won a Republican seat last year. And he had been a guy who was saying, uh, I'll work with Trump on yeah. tax reform. That was part of his slogan. And he very quickly has moved to like, well, if they change everything that they're doing, then I'll talk to them on tax reform. That's where the Democratic mood is in the moment. Definitely. Right? I mean, there are 24 Republicans in seats won by Hillary Clinton. I mean, those are the guys that they're targeting mm -hmm. uh, constantly. They're trying to – you can see the minority, so they don't have a lot of power, but they, they can offer some parliamentary votes to force them – to force Republicans to defend what Trump's doing. So they, they've forced all the votes. They're trying to build up a record of saying these guys are Trump apologists. They're out here carrying Trump's water. They're defending Trump and everything. So, I mean, look, they're pretty clear. There's one issue. It's Trump. You know, it's everything Trump does, they're going to throw everything, you know. There's not going to be any other issue other than Trump in 2018. That's it. So, you know, the majority stand on Trump. At this point, Republicans are okay with that. But, you know, we're in mid-May. I mean, Trump's right. not we're a long inspiring way. anybody. <laughs> but listen, there's still a chance he could get a health care bill. There's still a chance he could get a tax cut mm -hmm. or a tax reform package. Infrastructure could still happen, theoretically. Something trade. I mean, as long as the economy holds, it's it's he'll be okay. The difference between now and 2006 is 2006, Iraq was in the background every day of horrible news, these horrible pictures coming every day about uh, what was going on in Iraq. And the, the country was the, – the, the And I would throw in Katrina to that too, right? And the end Katrina, of 05 right, was in the backdrop exactly, of people's minds, right. right? And Bush was – you know, there was fatigue over Bush. Uh, there clearly was – there was fatigue over uh, the Republican Congress. There were scandals. There was a Foley scandal. There was lots of corruption scandals, Jack Abramoff scandal. I mean, but the background was Iraq every day. It was bad news every day coming out of Iraq. Trump's not there yet, but Trump may be – you know, is Trump the Iraq of 2018? <laughs> that's what Democrats have – you know, that's what Democrats are hoping for. Republicans are hoping against that, so – all right. Uh, is Trump the Iraq of 2018? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's <laughs> great. All right, Press. Thanks for that. And now our conversation with Rahm Emanuel. So let's say Donald Trump comes to town. What, what's the itinerary for him? Uh, uh, architect your boat cruise, a trip to Wiener Circle. What do you do with him? <laughs> <it? laughs> 
Well, I would like to actually, I'd take him around a lot of different places to show him the successes that are happening in the economic engines of the United States, which is your cities. I mean, I view the cities of America, the major, as well as medium-sized cities, as the economic, intellectual, cultural energy of the United States. I would show him what's going on. I just a neighborhood I just left, Bronzeville. The new housing that's happening. It's a South Side neighborhood. A new grocery store, Mariano's, one of the high end grocery stores, is in there. And within six weeks of opening, they already flipped and it's been that successful. Mm -hmm. The investments in infrastructure, which he's right on, what kind of uh, growth that happens, but it wasn't through uh, some tax credit, it was through us spending public money, creating the opportunity. I, t I would take him and I would show him the Riverwalk and all the jobs that are happening now. There's $6 billion of private investment just because of a good public investment between the federal government and the city of Chicago and the Riverwalk that didn't exist before. I would show him how Chicago public students are number one in graduation rate in the United States for urban system, number one in eighth grade math gains, and number three in fourth grade reading gains of urban systems, and that we match the United States now from Chicago with kids going on to college and community college and how we did that. And I would also show how we're making community college free and the only city to do that, uh, if you get a B average in school. And so I would show him a multiple of educational, transportation, corporate recruitment. Our economy in Chicago, every year for the last five years has grown faster than the United States as a whole and faster than both DC and New York, where he calls, has two homes. Uh, and I would show him why. Um, so there's a lot of different things, both to break down his stereotypes that I think are misguided but also to show where there's a promise that we can work together. But he doesn't come, he talks about Chicago a lot, or was, he hasn't really yeah. talked that much. Why, what do you think it is about Chicago? Like, why is he focused on Chicago? I don't know, he's an investor. <laughs> he, he is. is. There's a big building downtown with his and name and on he, it. And he sees all the success, and he, know, yeah. he knows that. I mean, there's, you'll have to ask him why. I think there's politics behind it. What do you mean? I don't know. I think that there's, I think there's a decision, like he said about, and I said this, when he attacked New York, Chicago, and LA on education, he's called them rough. We call it rigorous. We don't believe in letting kids just graduate who don't have a future. Rough is not how I describe a school system that's leading on graduation rate, leading on college attendance, leading on math gains, leading on reading gains, leading on gains in ACTs. And I would say, come look at that. And I think somebody may be feeding you stuff, but you have a lot of outdated data. What I, and the way I look at it is you're allowed to have your own opinion. You're just not allowed to have your own facts. And if you want to fix it, help us get the state of Illinois to actually not be dead last in funding education. But he, he, he used the word stereotypes before. It, it does seem like he's playing into a sense that people have of big cities that's like from uh, not 2017, but from a previous. Yeah, uh, I mean, I said to, and I look on that issue, he's attacked Atlanta. He's attacked Philadelphia. He's attacked New York. He's attacked um, the gangs there. He's attacked Chicago. I notice he never attacks suburban or rural areas for their opiate crisis. He talks about how to solve those problems. So what's going on? Well, I, you have to ask him, but I think we can, there's certain conclusions about what he thinks are the I, images of a city versus the images of suburbia. You have a huge opiate crisis in the suburbs. Massive mm -hmm. opiate and heroin crisis. Now there, they don't get stereotyped or characterized. They get empathy. Urban systems that he didn't do well in get attacked. And I just think that's bad politics. And so if he ever came to Chicago, I would actually disabuse him of his stereotypes because they're not accurate. When he tweeted the thing, uh, well, maybe it's time to send in the feds, uh, 
Did, did anything happen off of that? Was there any, was that just a tweet that uh, disappeared into the air? Did you hear from the feds? I mean, we're, look, <laughs> a long time ago, two years ago, when they had the new ATF director, mm -hmm. we talked about, and we're getting more resources from the ATF, but that was in the works a long time ago. I do think, and let me give credit, the FBI has sent in, they're called temporary with no deadline, so mm -hmm. some additional agents there. Uh, we have a very good, our police department in, the, in my office, good working relationship with the FBI. The That's DEA. continued. I mean, the, two years ago it was with the, the Obama administration. I mean, it's, they're, they're professionals. Yeah. All three agencies, regionally, professionally run, nationally, they, they're here to try to solve a problem, not trying to make score political points. And we have a very good working relationship and want to continue. It's not just, A, it's human resources, it's technology, and they uh, can't say good thing, enough good things about those agencies in the law enforcement community. When he and uh, when uh, the attorney general taking shots at sanctuary cities, talking about community policing being scaled back, what do they not get about what needs to be done in cities? Well, those are two different. They're two different. They're, yeah, yeah, yes, so, but look, we're a welcoming city and always will be a welcoming city. It welcomed my grandfather 100 years ago. It's welcomed and it continues to welcome immigrants. And I want immigrants who believe in America, believe in the promise of America and believe that their children's future can be better than their present. Chicago should be your home because that's your American dream is our American dream and it's, and it's viable. And I see it, we have 140 languages spoken in our schools. I believe firmly in uh, going back to my work for President Clinton on the 100,000 uh, cops, which is all about community policing, that good community policing is really good crime prevention. And, uh, you know, last week there was a uh, picture in a, paper about a police officer in Washington Park on the south side playing basketball with some kids. Mm -hmm. Now, the police officer was about 6'2", and the kid was about 3'11", <laughs> so it wasn't fair that he was stuffing him. Right. That said, I called the police officer. He's not a senior. I think he's been in the force about five years or three and a half. I can't remember exact, but, it re you know, in the yeah. lot. I thanked him, and he says, uh, for doing exactly what I want to see all the police doing, and he, he says, look, a lot of our, and they're in the near Southside District, second or third. I think it was third district. He says, my partner and I, we make a purpose every day to do something like this. And there's police all over Chicago, great men and women who are doing good community policing. That is community policing, where neighbors do not see officers in their uniform and their badge, but see them as individuals and members of the community, and that's what's happening. Yeah. Do you think that when, when it comes, one of the things that Trump plays into, though, is you know the, the, the gun violence that's been going on here? Does he have any kind of point um and coming at it <laughs> uh, look we're working on this every day so yeah. in 2013 2014 chicago had the lowest homicide rate in 30 40 years both years back to back uh we had a situation last year and uh while we just reported yesterday our new data shootings are down 13 percent. i think it's in of the 22 police districts 15 are seeing a decline and some in the hardest sections of the city Mm -hmm. The 11th district on the west side uh, has seen, I think, a 40% decline in shootings. Uh, there's uh, the 7th district in Englewood on the south side is seeing somewhere like a 25%, 30% decline. Now, we're going to roll up our sleeves day in and day out. Right. And so what would be great, and I've said this before, I think denying that there was a, a problem post-Ferguson, post-Baltimore, post-New York, that it didn't impact the day in and day out lives of police officers and how they thought about their job was nuts. On the other hand, saying all we got to do is stop and frisk and as if that's, that, there is a crime strategy. It's not a strategy. It's a tactic. And it's a tactic that's been, that the courts have said you can't do. So neither one have helped 
you know, communities across and police officers and police departments or municipalities across the country. Look, you had something yesterday in San Diego. You had something yesterday in Dallas and you had something yesterday in Austin, Texas. Just three things in the, that broke through on the national news. They're horrible. But those police departments are going to work through. They've had challenges in each of those cities on overall crime. But they're going to work through it by building trust with community, putting more officers with technology, giving the officers the support they can so they know how to do the best professional job and be proactive, not reactive. Investing in after-school summer jobs and activities for youth who don't have them. Also in the neighborhoods, but also something he doesn't want to handle. we got to have tougher sentencing around guns and access to them. I remember when, when Obama was elected, I, I wrote something then about how it was notable that he was the first president uh, to really live in a modern city. Uh, now, Trump, I mean, Teddy Roosevelt. First Rose, one since, since Kennedy. Right. Um, Kennedy was from Boston. Right, but to make his home in the, in the city fully, right? Now, what's different about... Are you saying Hyannisport is not in, the, in Boston? <laughs> I, <I'm, laughs> I, as, as a uh, New York City native, I'm comfortable saying that. <laughs> yes, but you are right. Since John F. Kennedy, he's the first urban yeah. uh, senator, then president. Right. Correct. Now, what's different about Trump is he's lived his whole life in a city, right? Uh, but it seems like he's not really he, like a city person for all of it. You're smiling. <laughs> no, I will say. Like, born see in it. Queens. He lives in midtown Manhattan or lived. He hasn't been back there since he was elected president, right? Um, it's funny you said no, because when I, this is based on my history, I'm respectful, even if I, it's a pre, he's our president. Yeah. I respect the privacy of a conversation as I did and as I would expect anybody when they were talking to either Obama or Clinton. But on the issue of welcoming cities, I can make a moral argument given my family's own history coming mm -hmm. to Chicago in 1917 where this country wasn't welcoming to Jews then. Chicago welcomed Jews from Eastern Europe. Yeah. And in two generations, my grandfather's grandson is the mayor of this great city it tells you the power of America. Now, I said to him, I said, you know, Mr. President, so I will say my part of the conversation, not his, okay. out of respect. You are an investor in New York. You're an investor in Chicago. You're an investor in DC. I said, they're all welcoming cities. As a real estate developer, you never had a problem with it. <laughs> I said, you know, you don't invest in cities that are hostile to immigrants, you always invest in, if you look at your properties where you're an investor, you're an investor in welcoming cities. Why? They're dynamic. They have new people coming in all the time. They have the energy of an immigrant culture, which is they're starting small businesses. They're hardworking. Their kids are striving in school. I said, there's a reason you're an investor. So think about it. It's in our self-interest to be welcoming cities, and it's in our self-interest to be a welcoming country. I said, I can make the moral argument. I want to talk to the part of your brain that's a real estate developer. Look at the cities you invest in. They're all welcoming. Without, since you don't want to say exactly what I said, do you feel, like that, do you feel like that argument broke through? I, well, obviously, no, given the reason. <laughs> I, just, I, was, I thought I was persuasive. I felt really good at the moment. No, I don't. I, but I think I'd rather have them. I think there's a moral point, and I don't want to diminish it because it does. It's very per, I and feel you've this written about it per, per, personally. Right. Yes, I think this is really turning our back not only on our future, our history as a country, city, and I'm not going to do that. I've been clear. I told him, I said, presented him a letter with, I think, 18, 19 other cities who have signed on it. We cannot sit idly by and allow an erosion of the civil 
threads that bind us together as either a city, a state, or a country. Not, and I'm not going to be silent about it. I'm not only firm on legal ground, firm on political ground, firm on moral ground. I took that tack because I thought it was most persuasive with him individually. Yeah. Uh, but clearly, um, I wasn't as persuasive as I was hoping to be because I don't. I don't think it's in the interest. I want to. You have a vantage point from here. Uh, but you also have a vantage point about a, the presidency from having served in the Clinton White House and the Obama White House. Just ask you a little bit about what people maybe don't get when they focus on just Donald Trump as the president. There's a lot of uh, attention that goes to him and to the chaos and drama that seems to be about him. Do you think there's too much? Do you think people are, miss things that are going on in the White House because of that? Um Yes and no. So uh, there's not an easy answer to that. Look, my usual take on this is when I work for President Clinton and President Obama, when they try to talk about you all, certain things, you usually got only 10% right. of them. So it's like what's above the uh, water line yeah. on the ice, scrape, ice cap, <laughs> and there's like 90 feet right. or 90 miles below. A lot of people in the Obama White House like to use that. <laughs> well, th that's true about any. That was true about Bush's White House. Right. True about a White no, House. but the iceberg one. I, oh. I heard from many people. Oh, <laughs> that, uh, maybe we all are some email uh, train. Um, so usually, where there's smoke, there's fire. Okay. So is there? Is this a? How? You know, even. Let me say it this way. Well, we did a lot of work in President Obama's first two years, and you can even say at this point, day for day measure. Yeah, I had been in the White House before, so I'm, it's one of the reasons President Obama, besides our right. friendship, and besides my congressional background, but I've been in the White House, yeah. in a senior position. So I knew how it operated. That was true of, uh, I mean, Ron Klain had been in the White mm -hmm. House before, who was the vice president's chief of staff. Tom Donnell and deputy national security. Okay, so you had people either in a prior administration or prior White House. That is not true either for, and, and in politics, yeah. which I actually think is valuable. Maybe some people think it's not, that is different from this White House. There's an upside to that. There's a draw. There's a downside to that. So, I think you guys should not carry on that you're subject objective. We all carry biases into the way we report. No, there's no. I mean, objectivity so, is. It, I, so it's a, there's a difference between objectivity and fairness. This is so stark, so stark a break from the past administrations of both parties that I think there's a shock to it. And I mean by that, just let's take a couple things. Last week, one of the, this is in any given week, this would have been a major, I mean, the president, secretary, treasurer, and NEC director, economic council advisor, went out with a page and a half to describe the largest tax cut in American history without tables, without backgrounds. And I'm not 13 saying, bullet points. Okay, but my point is, not that that has to be the only way it's done. That's totally unacceptable because you have to know there are winners and losers in any process. And people have to be able, if you were been working on this and it was going to be ready on Wednesday, that should have been there. Two, you're in a major confrontation, which I find with North Korea, or not confrontation, there's a major possible standoff coming. You have an election just a matter of weeks away in South Korea, a major ally, where there's some real debate about what's going on in North Korea and America. And you're talking about making them pay for their air defense system and that you're going to break up the trade agreement while there's an election and there's a major standoff, America's word and America's reliability is now in question. Come and gone like is it like that. That he I said think, he said in an interview major, major conflict we can have and I, I think that you guys would never have allowed President Obama or President Bush to get away with either one of those things. 
either one of those. Third, I mean, uh, in that same that the president of the Philippines was invited here without any, I mean, an audience with the president of the United States should at least warrant some change in behavior if you have some human rights violations. Either we're going to stand up as a country that believes in that or not. There was, uh, so there was I, some attention to the Duterte, uh, no. not, not, I, 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 I grant you, you not as much. You, as, right. And, yeah. and, you know, I mean, on my point, these are serious issues. And so they deserve not to be graded on a curve, but it graded against a measure. So is it that we just can't look away from the crazy? Is that? I think that it's, I think there's a lot of, I would use plural, not just singular. <laughs> Crazies. No, I just think there's so, there's a lot to deal with. And there's a question is how do you focus on it? And how would you focus on it? But I'm not doing your job no, for you. No, you don't that's have your, to. It's uh, your job. No, I, I can talk I'm to focused my, on my city. I can talk to my editors about it. But no, <laughs> I, I, that's for you to do. I, like, I mean, my job is to focus on my city and make sure my city continues to thrive, grow, and prosper. Uh, you know, I do two things every day. Everything I look at. How are we doubling down on our strengths? And how are we taking our challenges and making them strengths? Okay. And I feel like what I, you know, last week we made a major announcement about Woodlawn that, mm -hmm. you know, we, a grocery store was coming in in a former food desert. Last one was 40 years ago, 800 new housing units, a new L station, a public transportation station. Today in Bronzeville, a new uh, park district facility with a new library. We have uh, people coming back, a new grocery store, new retail, coffee shops, et cetera. I went to said that uh, Bronzeville and Woodlawn were challenges before, but they weren't thriving to the level they could. They were yeah. fighting below the way. Today, based on four years of hard work, they're actually now people are talking, how do we do what Woodlands or how do we do what Bronzeville from around the city? And so that's how I look at it. his job. What are your strengths? What are your challenges? How do you double down on your strengths so they keep you firm and trim? And how do you take your challenges and make them opportunities of growth? Another thing that you're thinking about is the larger democratic uh, situation. <laughs> uh, you want to slam the table as I talk to you about Democrats around the country? <laughs> that would be one physical expression. Go ahead. What 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 are Democrats not getting as they're thinking about oh, the think, approach to I, this? I don't buy that they're not getting anything. I mean, I, my general approach is what I've said, which is we're going to confront where we must, cooperate where we can. That's how I'm approaching this. You want to talk about infrastructure? Let me give you a fact. Chicago economy for the last five years, has grown faster than the United States, faster than D.C. You faster gave me that fact already. You like that fact. Well, I'll give you another one. <laughs> Chicago's the number one city in corporate relocation every year for the last five years. Chicago's the number one city for direct foreign investment every year for the last five years. Chicago is on the top 10 cities worldwide for most economically competitive city, and it's the only city on that list that's not uh, either the nation's financial or political capital. But the, So my point is, I'll work with them on infrastructure because I've been clear about what it means for mass transit, airports, our roads, our schools, what that means for our economic growth. You come in and question the values of the city with 140 languages spoken to a mayor whose grandfather came to the city. I will challenge you on, on a welcoming city. Our values are not for sale and our future of the city is dependent on being welcoming to immigrants. So I'll cooperate where I can and confront where uh, I must. If you say you're not interested in community policing, we're not going to follow that tact. I believe in community policing. The superintendent believes in community policing. But when you think about, and not just about the presidency, but you know, a governor's race that you'd like to see mm -hmm. uh, go Democratic next mm -hmm. year uh, here mm -hmm. in Illinois, oh, Democrats don't need to win more votes in Chicago. They need to win more votes that's elsewhere. A that's a different, I think it's a good question. That's a different question. 
the way I mean, I don't want to play D triple C. I don't right. want to play ch party chairman. But if you must ask, here it is. No, uh, play concerned Democrat about okay. the concern well, look, for the your. I think here's how I look at it. If you were looking at congressional, you were looking at uh, state capitals, and then you look at the presidency to be competitive. The battleground is not urban America or rural America; it's suburban America. That's the battleground. I haven't done. I mean, I used to do this for a living. I don't do it anymore, but. We own, or hold rather, not own, every urban district in America. The Republicans. Almost. I'm saying. Yeah. Maybe one or two, but yeah. basically you would agree. Yep. Urban America is a Democratic stronghold. Yes. Rural America is a Republican stronghold. Okay. <laughs> the future in a presidential election, a statewide election, or a congressional is in the suburbs where more moderate voters exist. Talking to ourselves and persuading ourselves is not going to be the way you get to a majority. Now, one of the things I got attacked when I did this in 06, I recru purposely recruited candidates who reflected the temperament, tenor, and culture of their district. I didn't try to elect somebody that fit my image. I tried to help elect somebody that fit the image and the profile of the district. That's why there's 435 of them, not one. And I don't think our party sometimes wants to get all that. And I mean, I, I don't, you know, I don't, this is going to get me in trouble. My staff's going to call the interview over. <laughs> Look, I'm pro-choice. I'm 100% pro-choice. 100%. 100% help negotiate a way to pass President Obama's bill through 13 Democrats who consider themselves pro-life. I consider everybody pro-life. But in this race that's becoming a big issue in Omaha, it's not going to change the character of our party. Winning the election would change the character of our party. Having a foothold in Nebraska. Yes. And if somebody, you know, he's he is who he is. And it's better for him to be authentic to who he is than for us to make him something he's not. And it's better for the party long term if the Democrats will be able to win the Omaha mayoralty. Now, somebody may say I'm unprincipled or I'm being too pragmatic or everything, but it's not like the character of the party and our values around the ability to give women of all walks of life choice is going to be fundamentally changed because of what happens in Omaha. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that. You know, that's a part of politics, and that's and the, I mean there, that's acceptable. There, there's maybe a large, and I'm not weighing in on it. No, right. I don't. That's what I used to do. That's not my position. I oppose what our governor's doing here on yeah. a piece of legislation. You know, at least in Omaha, the gentleman running is consistent with his position. Here, the governor has flip-flopped on his position on something that's supposed to be a moral certainty. Right. Uh, I was in New Hampshire a couple days ago with Joe Biden, a guy that you've spent a lot of time with. Uh, and he talked a lot about the Democratic Party losing its way uh, and making people feel like uh, they had forgotten, that the Democrats had forgotten them. Uh, do you think he's right about that? Sure. Is that a... Yeah, not even, it's not even a question. No. <laughs> we, no, no, of course. I think we don't talk about and fight for the middle class like we believe we're for them. If they don't hear we're for them, then we got a problem. Because we're not going to convince them that they're wrong. And I think there are certain things that we as a party wandered off from as it relates to being a party that fought for hardworking families. As uh, President Clinton used to say, that work hard, play by the rules, pay the bills. They need a voice. And it's not just a string of policies. It's also a set of values that respect who they are and their lives. Is that and I think we come off and can come off as a party disdainful of them 
is the bedrock of this great country. Is that a problem that can be fixed sure. quickly? Or, oh, I, I mean, it's a problem that took a long time to say. Yeah, it took a long right? time to get here. It's not yeah. going to take, there's no quick fix in politics yeah. uh, in that area. Uh, one of the concerns that people have is this sort of uh, potential leftward lurch of the party in the midst of this. You met with Elizabeth Warren when she was in town a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, here's my view. Yeah. Okay. I think you guys, this is what I hate about you all. Okay. okay? Tell me. <laughs> not you, Isaac, particularly, but you're here. So I hate you too now. Okay. On a serious note, look, you can describe me as a centrist. I think this is two, or Elizabeth is left and I'm centrist. Yeah. I'm not interested. We have honest discussions about how to move forward, not where you sit on the ideological prism. And my question is, I don't oppose President Trump's tax bill because it's on the right, even though I think it's quote unquote, described as part of the right wing or more conservative. I oppose it because I think it actually will undermine America's future. And it's about what moves us forward, not where does it sit? Is it left, right, center? I think it's anti-growth. It may be pro-business, but I don't think it's pro-growth. I'm for growth. Can I ask you one last question before I go? You could try. <laughs> go ahead. Um, well, first of all, I'm curious what, what are you, whether you think you're going to run for re-election in 2019. <laughs> I've answered that question. <laughs> you get a second one because okay. that's really a bad research right. question. <laughs> well, how about this one? You uh, are I not- like this better. I'm going to start evaluating questions whether this- I want to answer them based on whether I think they're good questions. You... That you, was a bad you question. Are, you, got, you got to do over. I, I got to do over. Yeah. We can clip it out and you're, go, you're going into the, you're going into the surplus <laughs> round. Uh, you you uh, are very well known for cursing a lot and being very colorful. Uh, have I cursed? Have I cursed? You haven't, and so I'm wondering. You never curse on microphone. Why not? I've never have. Why? Well, you curse a lot when the microphones are off. How do you know? Because of conversations that we've had and okay, conversations so. I know you've had with other people. I don't. I don't. I'm, I'm, maybe I'm just calling it respectful of the public arena versus a private. In representing both President Clinton, President Obama, the people of the 5th District, or the people of this, in Chicago, North Side, or the people of the city of Chicago, I have never, ever swore in public. And that's just, that's the way you want, want to draw the line. Well, it's not just that. I don't always in private swear. No, it's a, okay. I, I don't want to mislead people. Right, to think right. that. I don't. I, I, actually, <laughs> I think the stereotype is actually, a, that's exactly what it is, a stereotype. I will swear if I thought it helped me make my point, but I don't do it in public. So clearly I can, I, I have many <laughs> tapes from 1992 all the way to 2017 <laughs> and you can't find once in public right. a naughty word that would require me to put a, a quarter in the uh, bad word <laughs> box in our home. And it's okay. self-discipline. It's, it is, yeah, but it's also something else. I, in public, am representing the people that I'm responsible to, whether it was on behalf of President Obama, President Clinton, the people of the north side of the, uh, in the 5th Congressional District, or the people of the city of Chicago. And therefore, I take that responsibility. Whatever I want to do when I'm alone in private with other people, I'll do that. But in public, I'm representing other people. How is that as a do-over question? It was so much better than your first <laughs> question. All right. Thanks, All right, Isaac. Thank be good. Now, while you're here, do me one favor. Yeah. Go spend some money. I, okay. I already have. Well, I want more. All right. All right. <laughs> thanks. <laughs>